1: apple card issued by goldman sachs bank usa salt lake city branch subject to credit approval terms apply
2: welcome to star talk your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide star talk begins right now welcome back to star talk radio i'm neil degrasse tyson this is a special best of star talk radio we'd like to call it our Time Capsule Show. Today, we're going to highlight some of our celebrity interviews from the first two seasons, and let's start with my friend Stephen Colbert. Right now, I'm with Stephen Colbert in his office, and I think he's out of character at the moment.
3: We'll find out. We'll find out. Let's see how I feel about science. If I give it any credence at all, you know I'm not in character.
2: So, Stephen, I... I, as of today, I've been on your show six times. Now, I might otherwise get a big head about that, but I've, I've seen other scientists on your show often, so I'm led to think that you actually have a soft spot for science. Am I am I delusional there or what?
3: I, I love science. My dad was an immunologist, and um, I, uh, I, I, I'm I, I'm thrilled by science. Um, When I was a kid, um, it was education was valued in my house and and because I was the son of an academic and, and someone who was a medical researcher, um, science was number one, um, Th- th- though we're also a very devout family, too. Like, my mother is sort of mystical Catholic. My father is sort of intellectual Augustinian or, or you know, uh, uh, like uh, Aquinian uh, Catholic. But you understood the value of science in your life and in society. Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> yes, absolutely. My father, uh, no fan of uh, herbal medicine. No, repeatable results. Repeatable results. That was the mantra. <laughs> So,
2: are you a science geek or just a science
3: enthusiast? I'm a complete geek, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, give myself the um, honor of calling myself a science geek because I think you have to have more knowledge of science. I have appreciation for science. I really, I love hearing scientists talk. I love, I love, I love new discoveries. I love people who are full of questions at all times.
2: I think you've transformed the landscape of, of, of comedic talk shows or talk shows at all, the fact that you
3: recognize scientists as having a role in the dialogue of how, what drives the nation. Well, science is hard, let me put it that way, unless you approach it, I think, from what I know, unless you approach it with joy and fascination and drive and all of those things um, hint to me that the things that scientists are trying to explain to us must, must be pretty interesting. And so I take them at their word and I have them on to try to explicate that, open the the rosebud of their n- knowledge or their desire in front of us, so that we can see the beauty of the rose ourselves. If you know what I mean. That's beautiful. Thank you. Well, <laughs> very beautiful, beautiful mind. What a beautiful mind. So uh, wasted. Uh, I, I don't.
2: I don't want to put you on the spot, like asking yeah. you to pick your your favorite children. But among all of the the frontiers of science, which science, which branch of science excites you most? I, it's re-
3: astrophysics, Neil. <laughs> <deal. laughs> stop fishing it's astrophysics it kind of is astrophysics it kind of is astrophysics because it asks such enormous questions you know the 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 the, uh so you're not just saying that
2: because i'm sitting here right next to you of course i am
3: (laughs) but i also mean it um you know I, i i love like uh first questions why are we here or rather, how are we here? And then you can obviously interpret your why. But the how the how are we here question is, is enormous and and fills us with awe. And and that is you know, certainly cosmologists and natural physicists approach those things. And that's, that's what we do. As we live that we live that. Uh, mm-hmm. it, that that's there's a, it's a it's a high calling.
2: Stephen Colbert, he's a cool dude.
4: See, you need more Stephen Colberts in the science world. You really do, because he is—he's sexy and he's charming. But he was raised by a scientist, so he speaks your language. Yeah,
2: so that's that's, that's my different. whole point. Science whole needs
4: a makeover. You need queer eye for the science guy. <laughs> <laughs> you're talking to a woman who gets a lot of her stuff from TV,
2: but it can also stimulate it. In another direction. For example, get, uh, remember I had an interview with Stephen Colbert for this for this show and he, he commented on science fiction. Let's see what, like he, what he has, uh, to, say, what he has like to say. Let's see what he has to say about what role that played
4: in his and life. And you're bugging me right now. <laughs> All
3: right. Science fiction was incredibly important to me. You know, when I was 10, I remember I had this tremendous headache one day and I was over at my brother Ed's house. I'm one of 11 kids and, and he's the second oldest. 11? I'm one of 11 children, yes. And there were certain sciences that my parents didn't practice. And... Uh, I was on uh, lying on his bed at his house or in a guest bedroom at his house trying to sleep off his headache, and he was a huge science fiction fan. And he grew up in the nineteen fifties and had all these great original pulp um, science fiction and some from the sixties and seventies too. And I I picked one of the 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 books off the shelf because it was right about head level, and it was The Long Arm of Gil Hamilton by by Larry Niven, and I read it lying there after my headache was gone, and I was hooked. I read nothing but science fiction, and at the same time, the Cosmos came out by Carl Sagan, and um, – So had you not gotten this headache, you might not have stared that book down to write it. I'd never – no, no. I to would read not, it. I would not have been captured by um, – Kind of like the romance of science. If I might talk about the Dragons of Eden by by Sagan. By Carl know? Sagan. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, uh, Meditations on the Romance of Science. Is that what it's called? Yeah, that's the subtitle of it. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Uh, Dragons of Eden. Meditations on the Romance of Science. Which I then. Oh Im- no 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 no. That one. Oh no no. That's broke his brain. Broke his brain. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Well, I've well anyway. I read both of them. I read a ton of things, including Cosmos and and some of his non- uh, some of his fiction. And- so I'm just playing into what is a pre-existing ripe. Condition for you? Oh gosh, yes. I mean, I I love it. I'm completely captivated. I mean, before before I knew you, I knew you because I I I knew of you because I'm I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of the way you express um, science. I've showed your work to my kids, um, and uh, it's distressing that Americans don't know or care enough about science. Because when I was a child, science captivated young people because it had become it, it it was hot it was adventurous it was um The adventure is
2: what I think people don't feel today.
3: M- maybe not. I think I think it's because we were promised things like the wrist televisions and the jetpacks and they didn't come fast.
2: And the enough. bubble cars and the right. right.
3: Yeah. And the bubble cars all that, you know. Um, we were promised uh, uh, too much by the Hollywoodization of science.
2: One way to get people excited is to try to get scientists to get you sort of jazzed about it. But their entertainers, I think, can play their role as well. In, in my time with, Steve, with Stephen Colbert, we chatted. <laughs> Good segue. Re- <laughs> no, we did. We chatted about he he marshaled the Colbert Nation, his supporters, his fan base, yeah. to to take action to try to influence what NASA was going to do with their next voyage to the space station. This is remarkable that that he would value it enough to then marshal his people, his peeps, to do this.
4: But that, yeah, and I want to hear about that because that's my whole point is that it is our responsibility once you know something and you have a voice like we do right now Mm -hmm. to make that voice known and to say to people this is really important.
2: Well, let's go. Let's check out uh, picking up on my interview with Stephen Colbert in his office. You're listening to Star Talk.
3: On my official bio for years, I, I wrote that my birthday was the date of the moon landing, just to see if anybody would ask me and see if somebody would, like, catch what day I was using, um, which is – is it 24th? That's a geek thing to do. 24th of July? No, tw- 20th of July. 20th of July? I, anyway, I put down 20th of July. That's right? a geek thing to do. Oh, you, you, I'm a total a card total carrying. Geek. Okay. Card-carrying geek. Uh, I don't remember um, – I don't remember Apollo 11, uh, even though my mother swears I was – I guess I was five. My mother swears that, no, you were up like every other child in the world, and you were in front of the TV, but I I don't remember it. My first remembrance of space was the 1970 eclipse. That eclipse.
2: Yeah, there there was a couple of big eclipses then. In the 71, that's the – I think that's the Carly Simon eclipse. Which one? The,
3: oh the, total eclipse the of the sun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah.
2: Um went to Nova Scotia. Right, right. That one went up yeah. to New England and yeah. but through the middle of it would have gone up right it would have been where you lived, yeah. right. Mm-hmm.
3: Yes. I think my mother thought that when I stepped outside my eyes would burst into flame in my side my head. I think I was allowed out for like a second or something mm-hmm. like that. Um I, I I remember the launches. I remember I remember um the president welcoming people back. I I ate space food sticks. You know, from Pillsbury, I think, or Carnation. I forgot who made them. And um, I had little moon modules. Um, I, was, I was thrilled. Uh, I remember we were, we were allowed the very first shuttle uh, when the Enterprise came off the back of the... The Enterprise was a non-orbiting shuttle. It was just to test the aerodynamics exactly. of it. Exactly. And yeah. so uh, NASA threw a bone to the, ge- the the Star Trek fans and called it Enterprise.
2: We were all impressed by how much you were able to mobilize the Colbert nation to vote on your behalf for the space station. (laughs) And I looked up the numbers. You had five times the number of votes than the next highest vote getting name for the space station module. So this, this is, this is impressive. It's a little scary actually.
3: Well, all I can say is whatever the next one was like, Harmony or cooperation or something like that. They need to get a, a legion of rabid fans. They need a, they need a, a, a robot army to attack people like I have.
2: But did that response surprise you or did you, because no, they could follow?
3: No, I am, I am, I have tremendous faith in the nation and I'm like I was surprised in 2006 when we got, um, uh, 15 million votes for the bridge over uh, the Danube in Hungary to be named after me when there are only 10 million people in Hungary? That surprised me a little bit. But <laughs> okay. once, once we achieved that, I thought, like, i better to be careful where I point this. So
2: it also means you, you, can, you have the power to affect change in society that others wouldn't. So you could use sort of the humanitarian aspect of yourself to, to do that one day, perhaps.
3: If my character weren't hideously selfish, that would work out. But unfortunately, everything is just related to, he's the most insecure person. Let me show you what I just got. And I'm sure this will play beautifully on the radio. But this is the patch. I'm holding the patch that is actually going to be put on the, um, what's called the Colbert, the Combined Operational Load-Bearing External Resistance Treadmill.
2: This is the treadmill
3: that got named after you as a consolation for right. NASA reneg- lying to me after NASA lied to me in America and broke their own rules so much for scientists. They named the, a new treadmill after me, which is being launched in August. And I hope to go down there for the launch, but I just looked at this treadmill and it's a, it's a little cartoon of me and my head on top of the cartoon running on a treadmill and around it. has my name as all things must for my character. And I saw this today and I thought, my goodness is he insecure does he need reaffirmation at all times and that's why he'll never achieve anything good because it always has to be about him
2: so going forward you're not without power of influence of people's
3: feelings and moods i am enormously powerful neil no your character is oh, that's true that's true i forgot
2: Wait, the- you're-, <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> you're the geek. your character's got the power exactly uh, so we're what you think you can do going forward? We all know what the rest of us can do, but you have a unique platform.
3: I actually I, I love having scientists on and um, if I can have them on and and add comedy to the fascination of their subject then, well, that's, that's just a honey ball that might make people swallow what I think is the real treat, which is excitement and engagement um by questioning the world around you because um oh the world is so full of a number of things I think we should all be as happy as kings and all you have to do is look for the question that you want to ask about the natural world around you. And um well then you you are given the gift of a lifetime of entertainment and enjoyment just by being alive. Stephen
2: Colbert, thanks
3: for being on Star Talk. Oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> Thank you.
2: That was great listening to my interview with Stephen Colbert from back in season one. Still coming up in today's show, we sit down with comic royalty, the late Joan Rivers, and daily show funny man, Jon Stewart. Don't go anywhere. More of Star Talk Radio after this.
5: That's me too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true.
2: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So,
1: no, that's a good thing. Uh,
2: Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. You're listening to our first ever time capsule, a quick rewind on our comedic friends who have visited the show. My co host Lynn Coplets and I sat down with Joan Rivers and talked to her about almost anything and everything from our first season. Star Talk Radio is here in Joan Rivers' library, and I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson with Lynn Coplets. And Joan Rivers. Rivers.
7: Joan Rivers. Joan. It's my library. I should be in here.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Makes sense.
7: So,
2: so Joan, uh, Star Talk, as you know, we we talk to anybody who's got something to say about the universe, and we know you got stuff to say about everything, including the universe. So I just want to start off. I had like a bunch of questions I want to ask you. Um, you realize that in space, particularly in orbit around Earth, there's like no gravity there's like zero g and on the moon it's like one sixth g and so you realize it it's um with less gravity things float do you you have any thoughts about that do you ever thought of living in space because things float
7: no what i've thought about is i know that if you go uh around the earth if you go backwards you get younger
2: Oh, that was in, in in the movie Superman. Yeah. But yeah, but that, that's not real, though. That was just Superman.
7: Well, apparently, uh, Suzanne Somers now lives in a, in a rocket ship. <laughs> so, no, I don't
4: like the outfits. So I wouldn't live in outer
2: space. So, so it's all about the clothes.
4: Yes. I'm sorry. I agree, but I like the idea of zero gravity, Joe, because um, without zero gravity, gravity is what pulls everything down. So it does give us that that more uplift. That's the only reason I would even consider going in space, is the idea of I don't have that drag yes. down.
2: So, but- so, Joan, you don't need any more uplift, apparently. No, is no,
4: no, no, no. The point is, yeah,
7: so you you would have things up, but you still have to wear those stupid spacesuits. Oh, good point. They look like gay exterminators. I don't <laughs> like the spacesuits.
2: <laughs> good point. So I- so even, even if you're floating, no one knows because you're wearing a spacesuit. Yes,
7: suit. you're in a stupid spacesuit. They don't know. You can't get your toes down those big... <laughs> Boots, the the gravity boots. It is so not for me.
2: So, so you want open toed gravity boots?
7: I would like if I was good. I will wait to go on the moon until they figure out a way you can look nice.
4: <laughs> now I see. I could totally see you doing for QVC something, oh. something designer in the whole the aerospace line. What, what you, we can can you could do you do first? The moon pin, <laughs> and it makes you look thinner. Yeah. <laughs> it makes you look thinner.
2: Joan is hilarious. What an icon! Isn't she great? She is. I,
4: I think it sounds like I love listening to this because I, you know, I haven't heard it yet, and it sounds like. Joan and I are two little kids playing, <laughs> and you keep coming in like the papa, like the teacher, like and really astrophysically
2: speaking. <laughs> That's because I'm sitting between the two of you during that interview. I felt like, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, why am I even here? You know, because you all just like resonating
4: because you were keeping us both down to earth and sane.
2: Uh, you know, and plus Joan's been around for many decades, as we know, and I
4: don't think she'd appreciate that. <laughs> well,
2: no, she'd be she'd admit to that, and she's of course around for the uh, in the 1960s, and we recently had uh, in june 20th july 20th 2009 was of course the 40th anniversary of the apollo 11 landing and Again. so always wanted to know what people were thinking and doing back then and so I very much I, I wanted to know that from joan let's find out what she had to tell us
7: okay i was at fire island and i remember that we had a wonderful little house my husband and i and we had friends over and i remember sitting and watching as we all did on television watching them land on the moon and then all those insane rumors started that they were they didn't land on the moon they did it in a in new jersey in a in a uh, a hangar (laughs) in a hangar remember all that stupidity and it was very exciting and i remember that china do you remember this came out and said we have our own space plan and we will have i remember this clearly a restaurant Up on the moon in 2001, China made a big announcement, and Israel already made reservations. (laughs) I remember China saying that, you think you're so smart, we will have a restaurant up on the moon in 25 years. And I thought, oh, just say how smart we
2: are. Well, I have to say, but it would have no atmosphere.
4: No. Oh, oh.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Am I allowed to crack a joke every now and then? You're
4: allowed to try, baby. (laughs) It was really fun because I got to go back to some of the shows that I really loved Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and that I thought were comically rich that I thought Joe would really enjoy. And, you know, one of the best ones was the Virgin Galactic. Oh, space space tourism.
2: tourism. We had to bring that subject to her. (laughs)
4: we just had to because i just you know i interviewed people on the street for that show and um just so people at home know what we're talking about it was on space tourism and richard branson um has virgin galactic the
2: space the the aviation entrepreneur richard billionaire (laughs) yeah
4: he's not going on the first voyage but (laughs) but he's really pleased to take 200 grand from you to put you on it
2: selling tickets to it
4: yeah and um And everyone, I interviewed people on the street, and and a lot of seniors Mm -hmm. were all for it. And a lot of the young people were like, heck no. And (laughs) you yourself, Neil, said no. You were like, I'll try the fifth or sixth one. I I,
2: heard too much about maiden voyages of (laughs) ships. (laughs) That's
4: exact. We've seen blimps blow up. No, thank you. I've seen
2: those stories. So I
4: wanted to know what Joan, at at 75 years old, what her reaction would be.
2: Well, let's find out.
4: Only if there was a first class section. (laughs) There isn't. Jojo, right now, there's no flight attendant or meal included. Nope. You can sit next to anyone. Nope.
2: <laughs> nope. nope. You nope. might not even have a bathroom because it's just oh. a flight up and then back. It's just like it's a it's suborbital and you come back.
7: No, I definitely like first class. I like my own bathroom. I want to be given earplugs. I want to be given.
4: No, I would not go. Wouldn't you be angry if you didn't get a window seat? That was my whole thing.
2: For 200 grand?
4: For 200 grand. I want a thing that's, that you can sleep on. Absolutely. Sleep is
7: definitely a flight attendant
2: for twenty grand. Rubbing your feet.
7: A flight attendant. I want three gay men lined up. <laughs> <laughs>
4: mm-hmm. So we we asked Joan about aliens in space visiting us, and uh, you know what she thought about that. All right. Do you think that there is life out in out of space?
2: As
7: we know life.
2: That's a perfect question. Excellent question. And if you look at how big the universe is and how common the chemistry is of life, we're made of ingredients that you find everywhere in the universe, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen. It's the most common ingredients in the universe. And the universe is vast. It's been around a long time. It would be inexcusably egocentric to suggest that life on Earth is alone in the cosmos.
4: But we keep thinking the searches for intelligent life. What we might find is like pond scum. <laughs> like at this point, we're dumbing it down. Sli- slime, want to find mold, anything, <laughs>
2: anything any, any, so, so that's an interesting point. If, if we find life out there, it could be smarter than us, or dumber, right? Do you have a, like a feeling about that? If they're smarter than us, are you worried they might treat us the way we treat that would make us pets? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But I always wonder.
7: The whole universe, it's suddenly so incomprehensible, at least to me, because it, where does it stop? Where do you fall off?
2: Mm-hmm.
7: You know, And if it goes on forever, are there other planets that we could eventually connect with?
2: Should we fear aliens coming to us, or should they fear us if we visit oh, them?
7: No, I think we should f- be terrified if they're coming to us terrified. I don't want to know about it. I don't have to make friends with them. I don't want to wear a dog collar. I'm not interested in saying she used to be a funny person on, the, on Earth. But the way what would You could d-
4: end up a pet. You could end up a pet in someone's house. <laughs> I could be a rescue pet. <laughs> you could rescue a lot worse pets, i tell you what. She would be one heck of a rescue pet.
2: But Comedians are observers smart of lady. culture and Science is, I think, when it's the the material for comedians, I, I'm i charmed and tickled to realize that it can be a com- of comedic substance. I mean, I, I, I can't. No, we asked Joan. Uh, I was curious what her educational background is because no one ever asks that of a comic.
4: <laughs> no yeah, one. <laughs> No one cares. They're like, just dance, monkey, dance. <laughs> yeah, but she's a very smart woman, very smart businesswoman, and very smart, you know, Joan is that rare breed of book smart, and common-sense smart.
2: And, com- and then you can, you, can, you can turn that into a fortune. I, I asked her, what, what science should she study? Let's find out.
4: I love
7: biology. I was very good in biology. I was very good in geometry. I was a terrific geometry student because it's very logical, and I like the logic of it.
4: Have you used geometry? You majored in geometry? Did you use geometry? No, I've never used geometry. I just loved it
7: because it made- I love things that make sense and you can control. And geometry is a very controllable science.
2: Well, so, okay. Since so is hu- so is humor and comedy, right? So do you do you do you, no, no, uh, no, you come?
7: Comedy you- is not controllable because you can think something is very funny and uh, nobody else does. You don't control an audience. You can never control an audience. But uh, geometry, yes, you can control this to that equals this. It's controllable, and that's it. And you can't change it, and I can't change it, and that's it. Comedy. You have some idiot in the front row that can ruin your whole show. So there's nothing to do with
4: it. You now, Neil was talking, Neil's always asking me if there's a formula to joke writing. And f- my type of joke writing, there's no formula. I'm just kind of, I don't work that hard. You can't. There's no formula. No. I don't think so either.
7: And the strangest things they think are funny. You know, you'll write and work on something that you think is hilarious and it isn't. And then you'll say, and they'll go, ah and you go, that's funny. Okay, that stays in the act.
4: I always have them laugh at the setup. Like, I'll set up a joke, and they'll laugh and laugh, and I'm like, really? I haven't even gotten there yet. I don't understand why
2: we're laughing. Okay, so we conclude that comedy is not geometry.
7: It's not not geometry. It is not a a science. Comedy is, there is no such thing as a science of comedy. And people that try to teach it, I feel, are so cruel. So if anyone is listening out there, if you've got any kind of a logical mind, don't take a course in comedy.
2: Lessons for the for the for those in school. You're listening to a rewind of our first ever time capsule show. I'm the host of Star Talk Radio, Neil deGrasse Tyson. We'll be back with more Joan Rivers and John Stewart coming up. This is Star Talk Radio, and I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. Welcome back to our Time Capsule Show. Let's finish up our interview with the late comedic legend, Joan Rivers. I, I always want to know if somebody owns a telescope and what people's reactions are to them. So, uh, I asked that of Joan. Let's see what she says. We did a whole show on telescopes. That was, in fact, our opening show. Oh. Yeah, so, because it was the anniversary of Galileo, 400th anniversary of Galileo and his telescope.
7: I, I dated him. <laughs> Galileo. And, uh, the telescope was—he had a very small, you know what—and so he made this long. It was small. It was an extension. You know how men. So the bigger the telescope,
4: the smaller the. Yes. The bigger the telescope. Oh, Jen, our the our listening crowd are right now peeling Spock ears back, getting so angry. <laughs> We're not going to watch that roast. How dare she? Um.
2: <laughs> so, did you ever own a telescope?
4: Yes, as a matter of fact, I have one. Uh, I have a country house,
7: and I have uh, views of the mountains, and I love to look at them. I own a telescope. Also, again, it, it's a great decorating prop.
4: Okay, and When you say you love, you look at the, you love to look at them. You love to look at the sky, or you love the, the mountains, not the other neighbors. <laughs> No, no, I like to
7: look at the mountains in the fall because it's pretty. I don't care what it.
4: no. But I,
7: I think it's I think it's um, wonderful. I love the heavens. I think they're very beautiful. I can't even find the stupid Milky Way, though. I'm not very good.
2: Well, not from New York. You're not going to find the Milky Way. you got to be like in the boonies for that. I
7: feel better. Because I, I can't find the North Star. If I was stuck in a boat,
4: I'd be screwed. We'll no,
2: give you GPS, and then, you, then you're good.
4: Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Joan. when Stephen Colbert was on the show, mm-hmm. we asked you asked him a great question that I love mm-hmm. about 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 science and where did he feel we should be by now? Yeah, yeah. And he was frustrated because he said he thought we w- he would have his own robot and flying cars. So we asked Joan the same thing.
2: What she wanted for for out of science by yeah, now? Yeah.
4: What what she what she expected? Okay,
2: let's see what she says.
4: My cousin
7: married a woman who was at Harvard who worked on making spaceships edible because if anybody got worked on this the day she died in a program at Harvard, because if they went up and they got stuck in space, it would take them like eight or 10 years to get somebody else up there to bring them back. So she would say, how are you Shirley? And she'd say, we made the most delicious
2: (laughs) split pea desk. That's nasty. It's that true. It's really <laughs> true. Really. It makes sense, though, when you think about it. Because
7: says, if they're stuck up there and they say, Lynn, we can't, we're can't. we starting right now, Lynn, to figure out how to get you down. We'll be up there in 2014. What are you going to do? You're going to start eating your spaceship.
4: I, 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 that's what I was going to say is, first of all, I would lose weight before I went up because I would not want people looking at me with a bottle of A1 going, oh, she's got the big booty. <laughs> we start with her. <laughs> we finish with that little one over there. This is the one we start with. I asked her if she'd ever seen a UFO.
2: Oh, you, okay, let's let's see what she has.
7: You no, know, but I have a friend who is doing a documentary on it. And uh, she has interviewed so many really smart people who will not give out their names because they feel it will really hurt them by saying they have seen it. I have not seen it. A friend of mine in Connecticut uh, saw them. And they're very. she and the husband saw it in their car together. But I don't know. I never had anyone from Harvard or Yale ever come up and say, I've seen a UFO. It's always like two idiots with no teeth. You know, I saw it. I was, you know, I was skinning a rabbit, and there it was. Yeah, they, use
4: it, or they use it as some sort of excuse for something. I'm sorry, I didn't come home. <laughs> I was abducted <laughs> by aliens and probed. But I also had another friend who's very smart. Who,
7: um, he, he does Alf. You remember Alf, the oh, yeah. the, the funny little comedy. The show,
2: the, the TV show, the, Al- the
7: TV yeah. show, and the character. And he writes Alf, and he swears he was in his house at Malibu, and he opened up his eyes and there was this thing hovering right outside his window. And then uh, woke his wife up, showed it to her, and then again it went away. So I know two people I respect that have seen them. And then a lot of people that are asses that I don't respect that have seen them.
2: But ever. none of them are dragged in like an alien carcass in front of you to look at.
7: No, but my cousin Sheila... Claims they abducted her from a Starbucks <laughs> and they took her towards I think it was Venus and they let her go because she kept saying the whole Are we there yet? Are we there yet?
3: <laughs>
2: but we asked her one last question. I was what what did what did she want to see happen in her lifetime scientifically? What kind of discovery? What? Just in her lifetime. I don't know how many more years she's got. What does she tell us?
7: That Bernie Madoff gets out of jail. Calls me up and tells me where the $62 billion are.
4: Then you can die.
7: After burning, I spend it all. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
4: He'd be a good one to slap. <laughs>
7: yeah, what would I like to see? Uh, I mean, I would like to see the, the planet cleaned up. I think it's uh, we're being very serious. For a second, I shouldn't be, but uh, I think it's a disgrace what we are doing to our atmosphere. It is a disgrace what we are doing to our planet, and I think we better clean our ourselves up. And also, I'd like to I'd like to live until they can tell me nothing is going to fly in from outer space and destroy us. That is very scary when they say a meteorite may come down and may kill you, and that's terrible. It just makes me want to charge up. More on
4: my Amex card. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. I have the same one. Can you tell me exactly when it's going to hit?
2: Wait, wait. Actually, so it's not the day we'll tell you it'll never hit. It's the day we tell you that if it's headed towards us, we can do something about it.
4: Yes. Yes.
7: Yes. I just want to know. Science, I think, wastes so much time on stupid things. And I think we should clean up the universe and clean up the space. And uh, don't worry about going out into space. They'll come and find us.
2: So Joan, any any parting thoughts for the Star Talk audience?
7: Just that I think how wonderful it would be if there was something out there, and if they were all single and Jewish. Single,
2: <laughs> a billion thanks to Joan Rivers for joining us on Star Talk Radio. Now let's get to our next interview with TV star and comedian John Stewart. He sat down with us to talk about his then new book, Earth: A Visitor's Guide to the Human Race. Check it out. It's, it's his book that's out now, Earth, A Visitor's Guide to the Human Race. And in this book, it Im- it's imagined as just something that we leave behind after we're extinct and aliens come and find it. And that's how they learn all about us. It's
4: the idea that we've been stalking the universe for all this time.
2: <laughs> so let's, let's begin that interview. And in fact, it was I, I, I taped it live in his office a few weeks ago. And we're slicing it into our program and we can chat about it as we uh, interrupt it at will. To comment on where it's going and where it's coming. Let's start it off. Very good. Love your book. Man, what, you. a, what a concept that Thank is. You. I don't know why nobody did it 30, 40 years ago. Because nobody wanted to waste that much time. <laughs> that's but we did here at the show. Everything, and that's why we did Everything it. is in that book. It is hilarious. It is fun. And the full title is Earth, the, the book. The book. And the premise there is Alien, civilization's yeah. gone. Right. All that's left is here is the book. And they pick up the book, and this is how they learn about us. This is our record of
8: the entirety of man's existence here on this earth. This is like how the Voyager record that went out into space,
2: That's that exactly. captured
8: culture. Star the only difference is it's obviously an abbreviated somehow. <laughs> Okay. in that uh, 234 pages. What's
2: your, what's your favorite
8: part of that book? I have my favorite parts, and I'll share them with you in a minute. The favorite parts for me are the smallest jokes that we came up with in periods of delirium, like it was never a good idea to judge a book by its cover, and it's a picture of Wuthering Heights, and on it was a picture of a dog going to the bathroom. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So just Some of the most ridiculous little silly jokes uh, are some of my
2: favorite. and And what I like about it is its breadth of subjects that it Covers, for example, in the section on psychology, there's no real psychology listed there. Well, I was a psychology major, so I know just how little there is to list. <laughs> so, there's really nothing, so you have all this like pseudoscientific stuff listed right, there. That's right, you're just telling it like it is, telling Ta- it like it T-I- is. So it's, it's t- taking names, and that's right. And, and, and all those things. Pluto is in there, Pluto is in I there. Will,
8: I will not back down from pluto you we, still haven't gotten over it. Can I tell you something though we did it, you couldn't did keep it out of your book. It, we did call it a trans-neptunian object that's good. We
2: did not call it a planet you got Pl- the science right that's good that's right that's we good. don't want to mess around. One of my favorite parts is where you talk about how we all thought everything revolved around us and the, the evolution of that thought mm-hmm. and what remained after it like okay, so we learn we're not in the center of everything, but there's still sort of a holdout right it's like an the, arrogance, an arrogance, so but we nonetheless. Named the planets after gods. What we learned is that we
8: were in control of our destiny, that there was no real spirituality. That was all a series of chemical interactions. But we named the planets after gods, just to be sure. Just to be- You just didn't know. Okay, that's what we think. But at the end of the day, let's say we're wrong. Hey, look, Saturn, huh? Saturn, you're Saturn, Saturn. Saturn. You don't want to piss them off too bad. That's exactly right. So we work it all through. And there are right. people
2: who think there's actually a face on Mars. Who are these people? Do they watch your show? Yeah, I would assume.
8: I would hope so. Well, you know, the man on the moon there's always a big thing that the, the, there was a face on the moon, yeah. there was, you know yeah. the craters from this distance, but they didn't My think kids. it was
2: actually a man on the moon. They just said it looked like it. The people are thinking there's actual civilizations on Mars or that you know or Mount Rushmore was naturally carved. the people who, but, who you know the Mount Rushmore being naturally carved is probably
8: because people are confusing Mount Rushmore with something else, so they're hearing Mount rushmore it's a lack of knowledge of what Mount Rushmore is more than you would show them a mountain with. President's heads on it And then they would go That's gotta be wind, right? That is so that's, hopeful For this country you say No, no, that no say I'm that. sure That's what it is That is that's, so whenever hopeful Whenever they ask those questions I, It's always like Is Mount Rushmore uh, a natural And people always think like Oh, right, Mount Rushmore well, i are just thinking of a different thing I wish I had that much hope Oh, I absolutely <laughs> have that much hope Although my kids still believe The moon is following them And how old are they? 28,
2: 26 Yeah, okay Six and four Okay
8: <laughs> But they believe That the moon is following them. Yeah Well, and that uh, daddy is powerless To stop it
2: why don't they credit Daddy with the power
8: for having done that in the first place? Here's what they credited Daddy with, the power to tint our windows so that we could roll them up and
2: not see the moon anymore. Oh. Other than that... You know missed that. out on a, on, a, on a power opportunity over your kids. That's exactly saying, right. I Saying, it is by the power that I have Listen. over the cosmos that I make the moon follow us and nobody else. Listen,
8: I put the milk on the highest rack in the refrigerator. Believe me, I have the power. <laughs> okay. There's nothing that happens in that house. They're not, they can't open a juice box.
2: I don't need to lord it over them anymore. More with Jon Stewart coming up.
1: Today,
2: more with John Stewart right now. No topic is left untouched in John Stewart's book, uh, including religion, and I don't know that he's ever been. Charitable to uh, religious thinking. Uh, uh, yeah, I show. think he, def-
4: I, 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 he is definitely a comic who has a point of view, <laughs> and I and I like it.
2: <laughs> so, in, in our next segment, we get to t- I talk to him about the religious uh, uh, content of the book and see where he uh, where his points of view take us.
4: Interesting. So let's
2: go right on in and find out what mm-hmm. he says. So, in this book, it touches all parts of culture and okay. people and time. Religion, and, science. And religion. What do you say about religion in there? Do you remember?
8: Uh, we just mentioned it as being a 100% purely positive thing and nothing ever going wrong, I think. I, haven't, I, have, <laughs> not, I have to go back and read the... Not, the I'll tell you what it says. I think it was, uh, religion provided great comfort to a world torn apart by religion. <laughs> I believe that was the, the ending. <laughs>
2: that um, period. That's all. That, that's that's exactly what you got. Right. <laughs> now, here's the thing.
8: Here is yeah. Here's a good question. Yeah. Where are we going with science? What if science is just leading us to a religious epiphany? Do you ever wonder about that?
2: Well, some people have speculated about it. Like we find the God particle or the theory That's of everything right. or That's the Big right. Bang. Or, and, we, and science has its sort of God-like figures. In your book, you list science gods, Newton and Einstein. You have mm-hmm. Edison in there. Marie Curie. Yeah, yeah. So science has its idols, and it also has its martyrs. And it's, has its idols, its martyrs,
8: and its faith, to some extent. Isn't a hypothesis, to some extent,
2: faith? Yeah, the difference is, when you find you out the hypo- that. when you find a hypothesis is wrong, you stop believing in it. See, that's the difference. The difference is, you will, but no one knows yet if religion
8: is wrong. No one has yet to figure out. They may figure out that the books that man created for it are wrong, but they have yet to prove mm. that religion itself is wrong.
2: Yeah, because it's hard to prove it's a negative. Like, yeah, yeah. That's exactly up uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just saying. I'm just I'm just saying. Okay. Do you think scientists have just pure faith in methodology? Well, it's worked before, so we keep at it. I mean, you'd need the faith if you tried it before and it never worked, but you keep trying it. That would require faith. But if it's worked right. before, do you want to call that faith? I call it, hey, it worked before. You're talking about it, that's experience. Yeah. The scientific method. That's experience. Can I tell you something? I love the scientific method. It's awesome. That's, and and people know. over define it. People over define the scientific You know what it is? It's do whatever it takes to not fool yourself. Period. That's right. the scientific method. I always thought it was to create something recreatable. Yeah, but to know that you've done it successfully, you have to make sure your bias didn't affect your measurements. So ah. you, so you write it down instead of just trying to remember because your brain right. that brains don't are work. there things in theoretical physics, are there theoretical
8: physicists that you are uncomfortable with their relying on scientific method and do they ever in any way veer into the lane of faith? Dark matter,
2: that kind of thing. Uh, no, we, we measure not dark matter. Uh, what was it called? There's dark energy. There's dark, dark energy. matter. The string theory. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there's some branches of science that are not really susceptible to experiment, and so these folks are out there on the dangling, bleeding edge right. of inquiry. But it's a pencil, a paper, maybe a laptop. They're not expensive to keep in business. Right, so right, right, I don't, right. I don't lose sleep over that.
8: Right. The, these are. The what f- about the climate stuff?
2: Is that do you lose any sleep? The climate stuff? stuff, man, people. Here's the problem. It's become so political. Here's the problem. Right. People think that the criterion for believing something is whether or not it feels good, that that's the measure of truth, if right. it made you feel good. And there's something wrong about that. That's a recipe for disaster. It's the ostrich with the head in the sand. I don't want to know about it because it makes me feel bad. I will only believe well, me- and listen to the stuff that makes me feel good. And if I have this investment in the oil industry, right. I'll believe what makes me feel good about that.
8: Let me go the other way, though. Is it also, though, people have become calloused to the dire warnings that are no longer uh, valid? Is it ostrich head in the sand or boy who cried wolf? Because there is also... Well, the sky is
2: falling. Yeah, That's yeah, right. we got all of them, yeah. We got all of them. Yeah. And trying to discern between those can be very difficult. Very yeah. Difficult. I, so I guess when the science has a fuzzy edge where we can say... This might happen in the next 50 years. Right. People, yeah, people don't know how to deal with that, that
8: uncertainty. Right. Yeah. But I say the summarizing. And there's rise also, of- it's also difficult now because there is no organization that has earned a certain credibility anymore. There is no Walter Cronkite of science. Does
2: uh, that make sense? Yeah. It's someone where everyone turns to and says, This is the man who tells it like it is, That's and we'll right. all believe it, even if it's uncomfortable. That's right. And who
8: will also tell us the things that are uncomfortable that are not true. So we need a Walter Cronkite of science.
2: Done. And
8: I I have a nomination. You want to hear my nomination? Who's your nominee? You!
4: No heavy sigh. What kind of heavy sigh is that?
2: And that's the way it will be. That's not it.
4: (laughs) (laughs) You are the Walter Cronkite of science.
2: That's the way it once was. (laughs) Uh, A big part of the appendix uh, of John Stewart's book explores ways that we might have gone extinct. And I wanted to find out. What inventive ways he came up, he and his st- staff of writers came up with to explore just. Oh, that, you
4: guys talk about that now.
2: Just that possibility. Great. Let's check it out. Tell me about the appendix of your book. Does it actually say how humans die out? You know, you hate to be a spoiler. <laughs> now, do we know? Look, the aliens are coming of to course. Earth with
8: no people, so some, something that. happened. You want them to get to the end of the book. You don't. They don't know why we're gone. Okay. So you want to give them eight different possible ways. What's the top scenario? Uh, shark bee hybrid, genetic shark bee, killer shark. <laughs> what is that? What is that? It's a flying the, killer shark. These are the geneticists gone wild. Geneticists gone wild. What nobody did, you know, in the meetings, they said, hey, what if we combine a killer bee with a killer shark? Nobody raised their hand and said, you know, I'm not so sure that's a great idea. So they okay. went ahead and did it. and No one would, said, let's not do that. And wouldn't you know it, imagine killer sharks that live in giant hives. And just come out, and, know, and they
2: can fly and swim. That's right. To get you, no matter what you're doing, you there's no way of getting around it. Wow. Okay. Is that the number one? That's the number one likelihood. I don't like to rank them, but yeah. Okay. That's, well, that's scary. I think that's pretty likely. That's a scary I think that's thing. Pretty likely. Sharks that hang out in hives. That's right. Well, they're not <laughs> sharks necessarily. They're shark bees. Shark bees, of course. Yeah. Of course. Barks. Sharks be hybrid. And they've been bred. Bred to render us extinct. That's right. Yes. Okay. So, what else is on the list? Obviously,
8: technology overtaking us. Except it never has in the past. Well, no, that's why it's the future. It, this <laughs> okay. is not,
2: it's not a history book, it's a future book.
8: Okay.
2: Stupid is, comment stupid on my part. Stupid. Yes. Okay. Exactly.
8: Now, okay. I'm not suggesting that in the future you won't be able to send yourself back to the past to stop the robots, to kill the grandmother of the robot right. so that it doesn't. Yes. There's I'll come back naked. That's right. Thank God this is radio. <laughs> uh, so, there's that. <laughs> Obviously, super bug. You know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie to you. Like a like uh, a virus
2: kind of bug. Like an Andromeda strain. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's cool. Turns us all to, to dust. Yeah. For those who are not old enough in the Andromeda strain, the oh, The movie. virus rendered blood, blood, blood into, powder. into powder. Yeah. Yeah.
8: Yeah. And it, like instantaneously, where like you'd walk out in the street, and you're like cars would still be there. Everything. Else.
2: Everything. Yeah. You're in, in. People were just frozen in situ death. What yeah. a
8: great movie. That yeah. Was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Death by Black Hole hadron collider the guys are like oh uh, there's nothing going to go around here bonk wrong oh we're not going to create a molecule that eats all other molecules wrong if the world ends in that scenario the last words uttered on earth by man will be hey it
4: worked
2: <laughs> John Stewart thank you for being our inaugural guest stop
8: it. I enjoyed it very much
2: Star Talk Radio a big shout out to all the guests and I hope you enjoyed our first time capsule show I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, and until next time,
6: keep looking up.
0: You can make money the hard way becoming a bullfighter, or save money the easy way with Xfinity Mobile. It sure beats making money as a human cannonball. Now through March 21st, learn how existing Xfinity customers can get a free line of unlimited intro for a year when they buy one unlimited line. That's hundreds of dollars in savings on your wireless bill. Visit XfinityMobile.com today. Restrictions apply. Xfinity Mobile requires Xfinity Internet. Reduced speeds after 20 gigabytes of usage per line. Data thresholds may vary.
6: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.